What's up, man? You having a good time? <laughs> yeah. You make any New Year's resolution? No. You? A few. The last time we talked, didn't you say you wanted to kill me? Yeah, well. New Year, Playboy. All right, everybody. How's everyone doing? Last time we checked in on you was the holiday season. Uh, we did our Christmas episode. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback from that. Um, you know, we've wrapped up 2021. Now we are in 2022. Uh, it's January 10th. Shug, how you feeling? Feeling good, man. New year. Um, same old, same old. I actually had like a little, um, I actually took my first COVID test. Like, hard to believe yesterday. Came back negative, so I'm happy. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad to be back here on Sugar Me The Mooney. Got a couple changes upcoming soon. Um, but it's good to be back and here talking with Mike. And we got, like, a great show today. We get to talk about one of our favorite shows. We get to talk about our favorite movies. And we know, you know, the audience loves that. Yeah. Oh, you got your COVID test. I did one in uh, like October. I had to do it for like this like uh, background thing I did, and you know, uh, yeah, it's a year and a half, you know. And then I finally took one. Then I took one because my phone died. I think I mentioned this probably. I probably mentioned this already, but uh, my phone died when I was walking into an arena. And you know, in New York State, we have uh, the health check thing, and they were like, "Oh, I had to take a test, like in this tent," and that was negative, and. Uh, ironically during christmas eve going into christmas i started not feeling well so for 10 days straight i was like in bed it was like the omicron i guess just like knocked me out um i had to isolate myself because uh you know i didn't you know my um i was sick like two months ago but that was different um uh, there's what i call it the flu episode if you guys a uh, couple months ago here heard that uh but you know after a while um the so next you did, day you after did, i was feeling better you, I felt you did test positive huh no, you, I, you know, I didn't because uh, I didn't want to leave. Um, I didn't really want to, like, go out and about, but um, I'm, like, 98% sure. Um, right. Yeah. But uh, tomorrow I'm getting uh, that, that booster. So that would be uh, – because it's been, like, six months exactly since I got the uh, second. Yeah. That would be good. Um, it's just ironic to me because, as you know, if you listen to the show, um, I work in retail. I was working in retail until, like, uh, December one. And then like five days, like five or six days later, I took the test and negative. And then like I was surrounded by people, like hundreds of strangers a day for like a year and a half from like April all the way to uh, like Thanksgiving week. And that's just the irony. But, the, you know, then I got then me, I was like a hermit for weeks and then I got sick. But hey, uh, a lot of people have uh, that I've talked to have gotten it. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it's all good new year uh today we have something special for you 
uh, like Shug said, uh, one of our favorite shows came back. Uh, a lot of shows are coming back now. Uh, Euphoria. We've talked about the show before. Uh, last year, around this time, they had a couple of special episodes that we dove into that we, we'll recap to. Uh, but also, uh, it's been a topic the last couple of years, uh, but a lot of people our age and just in general and younger generations are going back and like watching movies that like me and Shug like grew up watching and loving. Uh, we're going to talk about like problematic movies that uh, we can't help but love still. And we'll just get into that too. Uh, and then we'll have a, you know, show will give us uh, the award of the week and we'll wrap things up and we'll give you a little insight on like uh, the future. But before we jump into episode 81, uh, a lot of celebrity uh, deaths, a lot of people that we grew up on, uh, you know, it happened yesterday. I, I uh, messaged, uh, I feel like all the time, like, Something happens, and I'm, I'm like the bearer of uh, like bad news. But at the end of 2021, uh, right after you know we dropped our 80, uh, you know it was the holidays and everything, and uh, I saw a tweet, and it was from like you know Betty White. Everyone loves Betty White, mm-hmm. and like a running meme for years was, uh, "Oh Betty White, she's not dead, she's still here." I just wanted the shout out to Betty White, and she posted something about, "Oh, two weeks until my hundredth birthday, I can't wait." Mm-hmm. And then right underneath it, it was just like TMZ, Betty White dead at 99. Uh, so that was like, you know, one of the first celebrities. How'd you feel about Betty White? It was crazy because she was like my favorite character on Golden Girls. Um, So I was really happy when she got like her, Um, it's weird to say like her second moment because she's been on in, in media since like the 40s, um, 40s, 50s. But, you know, she kind of had this resurgence of her being like this um, octogenarian and, um, you know, 90-year-old person that was still all over the place and well-loved and well, you know, respected. And, yeah, it kind of took me out. Well, you know, I, I, I've always said it, like, you know, people who've lived, you know, to be, you know, in their 80s and 90s, uh, I find it hard to feel sad when they died because they live such long and fulfilling lives. You know what I'm saying? It's more tragic when it's a, a lot younger person, but it's, it's tough nonetheless to, to um for somebody to not be around anymore. So she was one that like, I um was like, wow. Cause like you said, I remember seeing like the people, um people magazine tweeting, you know, the story that they did about her and, as she was approaching her hundredth birthday, and I was like, "Damn!" Like I thought she, you know, like she was gonna reach a hundred. Talk about it, you know. One of them people you just figured would be around forever, but you know, well loved and and well liked. And I was like, "Damn!" They took out the whole crew. The whole Golden Girls crew is gone now. Yeah, and uh, like TV Land cut into like normal programming and. Um... I was over at my mom's and she was watching it. It was like hot in Cleveland. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, it was like 10 years ago, but she was uh, like kind of like, you know, raunchy in it, you know, borderline, you know, PG raunchy or TV 14. Uh, so I watched a couple of those. It's been a while. It was like an all-star sitcom uh, cast, a lot of the ladies on it. And then also I watched this movie that I haven't seen probably since like 99. Uh, did you ever see Lake Placid? 
the alligator, the giant croc. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Betty yeah. White's in it, and she's like, oh, um, oh, I killed my husband. And then I'm like, I hope you, <laughs> she says, like, see, no, you know, no offense, but she says, like, see, sucker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, like, very, very, like, raunchy. Yeah. You know, they're trying to push the envelope. And I was, um, uh... yeah, Golden Girls, I would always hear the music, you know, dun, dun, you hear the little opening thing, and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up on it. It was mostly, like, Nick at Night and, you know, like, TV Land or whatever. Big a marathon, like, 12 hours. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, and I, I like totally forgot she was in um, this you know comedy bringing down the house like she was like the racist <laughs> neighbor. <laughs> um, and we were um, like while I was at work and the news broke like we, somebody reminded me I was like you know Betty White was in the movie I was like is that Negroes I hear? <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah she kept working. Um, she had like second after Golden was like like a second go around you know mm-hmm. uh and then another you know hollywood legend uh pioneer uh believe also in, in the 90s he uh uh big big um yeah like a legend Sidney portier uh should that happened uh, a few days ago yeah Sidney portier was the first black man to win an academy award um 30 some odd years after like the academy awards started um he was a groundbreaking actor in so many ways because you know i, I, I tweeted it that like you know sydney portier was leading um movies was the lead actor in movies uh at a time where like most of america white america wouldn't even allow a black man in their house so he broke that ground and you know uh a lot of people was making um you know brought up his relationship with diane carroll which was very like tumultuous um and was quite like misogynistic but you know later in life you know obviously if you see uh you know diane carroll is no longer with us also but if you've seen money talks you know victor moan Victor Moan stealing all our sisters. You know, she ended up burying um Victor Moan and having like a life of her own. And obviously her and Sydney Portier later on in life, like were able to become friends um as they got older. So it seemed like very much water on her bridge. But he has such a, a great legacy. And if you watch in the heat of night, it's something um every I think everyone should watch that movie at least once just to see how great he is. Um, I mean, everybody talks about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but, you know, that was really, that movie, even though it was very groundbreaking for its um, subject matter at the time, uh, it was more geared to, you know, prop up Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy than it was Sidney Poitier, but it was... You know he did his he did great work in it and um you know in the heat of the night uh I think it was the very first time it you know in the heat of the night like that was like a movie like some places in the south wouldn't even show it because it really showed a black man being on the same level as a white man in the south and there's a very significant scene where I think the person who committed the murder in which they're investigating 
slops Sidney Portier and originally in the script he wasn't supposed to slop him back but Sidney Portier said it would be very important for him to do so and it's a very um you know it's a very famous scene in a movie um to showcase that at the time that it was in where it was saying like you know we're no longer um us as black people we're no longer like second-class citizens and you know respect is a two-way street so if you're not giving it you're not going to get it back and uh, he he did that through his acting so it's um it was sad that he also passed but you know it was great to recognize his legacy and multifold not only as african-american but also as a afro-caribbean person because um he was from the bahamas um so to see a person from a little island just like you know, I'm from a little island, grow, you know, go on and have such a significant impact on the world. You know, um, obviously we know his acting accolades, but he was also like a, a, a huge humanitarian and philanthropist. So he's known for that too. So um, RIP uh, Sidney Poitier. Right, right. And then we mentioned Betty White. Um, there's a story that I've heard it before, but um, I guess in the 50s or 60s, with like a variety or something she was on, uh, they didn't want, uh, it was like a black top uh, dancer. Demanded, you know that story? Yeah, it was a black top dancer that she had on a show on like Southern Networks or so, Southern um, Syndicate Networks were um going to boycott it because she had like a black guy you know kind of on the same stage as um white dancers as well and betty white said it's my show he's gonna be on there and you know you're just gonna have to deal with it you know and it's um you know we talk about like performative allyship but that right there is allyship where it's just like you know it it, it would have been very simple at that time to just say all right like okay i'm gonna lose like this market in the south by having this guy let me just fire him hire a white guy all is good and she just refused to do that you know a lot of people would take the easier route and you know like mike brought it up it should be something that you know is part of her legacy yeah, and that's another thing. Uh, you can watch on MeTV. Uh, surprisingly, they have a bunch of her variety shows on that. And, uh, you know, it's just a game show thing. Um, the, you, you can still see all these people, uh, which is great. It's not like they won't be forgotten. Uh, more modern, of course, um, our generation grew up on a, a show. It was on like every day, you know, syndicated, uh, full house. Uh, we lost Bob Saget yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of a shock uh, because on our show we talked about uh, we talked about Norm a couple months ago and that was a shock for me. And uh, Bob Saget directed Dirty Work. Show you love that movie. Yeah. And ironically, when uh, Bob Saget was talking about Norm on on a podcast, he was on the R.D. Lang podcast, and R.D. Lang played the friend in Dirty Work. And Bob Saget was just like, oh, like I, he was such a great guy, Norm. Uh, I, they had the script ready. They had the script and they had the uh, finance for Dirty Work too. And like, I guess like 2019, he showed Norm the script and he was, oh, I'm, I'm ready. And then we get COVID happened and then his, uh, he, he got sick again or it got more, it got returned, it returned. Um, and now Bob Saget's gone and it's just ironic 
that Artie Lang, everyone, he was on everyone's death pool and the whole cast of Dirty Work, you know, Don Rickles, Chris Farley, everyone is uh, gone. Uh, what's your memories of like, you know, Bob Saget? Yeah, it's interesting because I said to, to myself, at some point, I think I've seen every single episode because, you know, I used to watch late. They would have reruns of it on like after school. And I think I've watched every single episode of Full House at some point. Um, I have a joke the other day. I was like, you know, like, it's great that like, it's a good thing. I don't have friends like that anymore because like, I would, you know, like, well, Mike, Mike's going to probably be there. You know, if I ever get married, like my bachelor party, like my friends would be upset because my bachelor party would be in like Disney World. Like we're on like a TGIF sitcom. So like one of the episodes I remember was the one where they all went to Disney World. And I think like he proposed to, you know, his character, Danny Tanner, like proposed to his girlfriend. Um, But yeah, it, it was interesting watching him on, you know, Full House and then watching the whole rest of TGIF and then again later on at night or i think it was before that like america's funniest home videos he was the original host and i was kind of shocked like the one day i seen like they had replaced him because i think it, it kind of like it, it went from being like a like a flagship kind of show to just kind of like a syndication show same way like you know who wants to be a millionaire mm. um and then I think he had, like, other sitcoms and stuff like that. And then around, like, the time I was in high school, I seen he had, like, a comedy special or stand-up special on HBO. And I wasn't expecting to see outside of Bob Saget, but it, that was the day I realized, like, he wasn't just, like, a TV dad and um the host of America's Funniest Home Video. Like, this dude was a legitimately funny comedian and he was he had some great crude um humor and it, it's actually one uh, you know i'm i'm in in my like favorite stand-up comedians you know i don't really have like a lot of white guys i'm sorry to say but it was actually one of my favorite stand-up comedy specials and it's ironic because i think like he joked in it uh he did like a whole bit on his one scene in Hot Bait, you know, where it's like a, oh, yeah. a like a drug, um, like a, a a drug addict, um, group therapy kind of thing or whatever. Um, that Thurgood, yeah, counseling, and like um, Thurgood, who was Dave Chappelle's character, he went because. He said he was addicted to weed and everybody like laughed him off. And one of the people I laughed him off was Bob Saget. And he's like, he was like, weed, you're addicted to weed. Weed is an addiction. Have you ever sucked dick for weed? And he's like, I suck dick for crack. And he's like, and somebody off camera, I, I, I think it was Dave Chappelle's voice was like, I seen him. <laughs> and he did like a whole bit on it. And he was just like, you know, I've done Full House. I've done America's Funniest Home Videos. And he's like, I I swear when I died, the one thing people was going to remember me for is I, I said I sucked dick for crack and half-baked. And I tweeted yesterday, I was like, it's ironic because I've seen every episode of Full House. I never really kept up with the, the Netflix one, the new one, but hmm. I've seen every episode of Full House. I used to watch America's Funniest Home Videos when he was hosting it. And the 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 irony um it just tells it just 
um shows the like persona of comedians where like this irony that some like even in death it's 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 like its own little bit because I'm like I've seen him in all these episodes of Full House. I've seen him in America's Funniest Home Videos. But now as an adult, the one thing I'm going to remember him for is, you know, the I suck dick for crack. I've seen him. <laughs> and you mentioned, you know, you're talking about a stand-up and everyone was like shocked or, you know, because they grew up on Full House and all those and then America's Funniest Home Videos. Uh, you know, 90s version of YouTube for all those kids out there. Or like uh, Tosh... Uh, you know, Tosh Poino. Uh, but he actually started out of the comedy store uh, with like people like David Letterman. Uh, so he was raunchy back then. Like if you, like early, I, I don't think there's a lot of footage of it, but he was like a mainstay at like the comedy store. And then he got this opportunity because in the eighties, sitcoms is where like you wanted to go. Like they would have like that and Johnny Carson and like Letterman you, to be on that because everyone would see it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, so he, he had a long career of that. Like Michael Keaton too, he like he started out with uh but yeah, but you know if if you are if you really do care about seeing like him on like talk shows, I always bring it up. There's this one guy who he's like an archivalist for talk shows. Uh Don Gill or Don's he's like D-O-N-Z, like on Twitter. And he he's like, I'm on it, guys. Like as soon as the news broke, he's like, I'm on it. And he's like I hate being the obituary guy, but, you know, if you guys want to watch, I have, it was 86 to like 2006, every appearance, it came up like that night. Um, so if you want to just pop it on and watch and just see how he is non-Tanner, uh, but Full House was great. The last thing I'll say about the show, uh, I think I mentioned it once where I always think about sitcoms that are like, or shows that are about shows or about like the industry or about you know, like meta. And you know, wake up San Francisco. Wake up San Francisco. Like he hosted a show, and I used to love that. And then later on, they had like the Rush Hour Running Age, like that show. It's like I loved that when I was a kid. I was like, you know what? I love the whole you know making a show. And you know, here we are, we did eighty episodes, eighty one episodes of Sugar Money. So it was a big mm-hmm. deal. Um, but yeah, you know, RP everyone. Hopefully things come in three, but hopefully uh, the rest of the you know twenty twenty two is a little brighter for us fans of uh, actors and everything and. Well, last night, um, as we're recording, um, great, phenomenal show. I remember when I was watching Spider-Man No Way Home, as clearly hundreds of millions of other people have. You know, I was watching our movie. And I even, because um, I think Four From Home came out like just before the first season. And it's hard to believe, like, it's been two years, you know, and like Mike mentioned, we had the two little special episodes uh, last December to kind of like, you know, wet our beak a little bit. But I was watching No Way Home and I was just like, great movie, very few critiques about it. Uh, but one of the critiques I had on it was like, I was like, damn, man, I, I really much prefer like Euphoria and... um uh what's the movie called malcolm and and something the one with john david washington that's on netflix i like that zendaya more than spider-man zendaya because she is like a tour de force on euphoria and uh you know going back to those episodes because we we like reviewed them the both weeks um 
I said it at the time too. Like I didn't know before actually watching a series, I didn't know what to expect because they really just showed like a trailer of uh, Zendaya in a theme park or uh, amusement park or carnival or something with like little, no kind of information like outside of that. And then you started watching a show and it's like, oh shit. Um, and the first season was like so great. I don't think like there, I think it was eight episodes. I think like there weren't any like, you know, again, it's like sex and pizza, you know, even the worst kind is still kind of good. Um, every no episode, filler. Yeah. There's like no there's filler episodes. No filler episodes. Every episode had something. It wasn't something where like, oh, episode six, you know, you kind of could like skip like every, every episode had something like that. And we obviously had some, um, you, you, you pick up like your favorite characters throughout the season. I think they highlighted or gave background to a lot of the characters, but one of our favorite characters on the show that they, you got no kind of uh, background for was the drug dealer with the heart of gold, Fez. Um, this first episode, and it's ironic because when I open up HBO Max, right? It had Euphoria and it said start. So I hit start. And I was literally watching a show for like five minutes. And I was like, oh, why are they showing like, oh, like they're just rehashing like uh, Rue's like um, backgrounds and Daya's character's background. And I was like, it wasn't until like five minutes I realized I was watching the first episode of the first season. <laughs> happened to me too. Yeah. And I was like, so I watched they, on my tablet. They, and it was different they always than do that because they did it with like Curb and they did it with like Insecure where like you kind of have to go in there and then go to season two to find it. That's neither here nor there. But I'm just saying I was watching the um, I thought the premiere episode, I thought last night's episode um, was what I was watching, but it was actually like the first episode. So I had to exit out and then find um this episode. So. It gave us the background on Fez and his his story, um, which they've done an excellent job with everybody, you know, getting like uh, younger actors to like, you know, portray the young, the even younger versions of these characters. And you come to find out, um, I guess his father was like a strip club manager uh, who, who was like abusive towards him. And his grandma came and uh, picked him up. He, you know, shot. She, she. Well, I'm not gonna give the whole episode away because we're gonna just kind of like review it and give our thoughts. Uh, picked him up, basically raised him, and she was actually like a drug dealer herself and kind of involved him in the business. Um, and that's how he got into it. And then you come to find out the little boy that's with him, Ashtray. Um. He was actually like a drug addict's um, child that was given to the grandmother as like collateral. And obviously the addict never like picked him up. So he kind of became like a little brother to Fez. And that's how their relationships are and how he got involved in the business. Um, and it was great. Um, the whole episode was just to me, awesome. It might have been one of the best, like, premiere episodes of a show 
uh i've ever seen uh the best one of the best like you know season premieres i've ever seen like it was very much i remember like sopranos used to have some awesome season premieres like they would kind of get hit you with the like a full like punch in the first episode and um you know mike what, what was your thoughts on the, the episode well just just uh bounce off what you what you mentioned like the opening uh basically a cold open uh first off the queen bee you know the, the grandmother that's already buko's wife right that's what i Did thought it that? was that's yeah, what i thought it i think was, i didn't look it up but i'm pretty sure I've uh, seen yeah, her because she's in everything. I've seen her. She's actually on Godfather of Harlem with she's Vincent D'Onofrio's character, um, Vincent Gregante's um, wife on our show. So that's what I thought it was. It might be, and I tried looking it up on IMDb, but I couldn't see it. But um, she's actually an actress because she's been, she's actually been in um, she was in uh, Bronx Tale too as well. Yeah, I didn't want to look up season two cast just because it was like a surprise. So I just looked at one. Uh, but yeah, Godfather Home, you know, that was on. Uh, everyone, someone was watching it. And I just was like, yeah, I'll catch it another time. I never got into it. But season one, just to go back. Again, we said no filler episodes. Uh, we were introduced, you know, through Zendaya. Like, we're introduced to different characters in this, like, school. Uh, and then, like, you don't know much about them. Like, it's just, like, from her point of view. And then, like, each episode, pretty much. They would have like a backstory of like of like a different character, and you learned even though, I mean, either it would be like kid when they were like really young, uh, like they showed the die with like her like sister, but then also they would also just like just previously before the season, like they would have like a little backstory of like what happened before the show started. So it was cool. It was like way back, and then also just like where they're at right now, and they were able to like showcase these actors and you know actresses not just like uh like dialogue they were able to like dive into kind of like how the specials were like because of covid they they had to do like a smaller production so in the specials uh they had rue and her sponsor ali and they were able to just focus on her character more and it was like you know very very like a play and then the next one we had jules the next month they had jules and she was a one-on-one with like her therapist pretty much uh, so it was able to showcase these uh, these actors, like, their chops, their acting chops. Uh, I love the fact that, uh, well, let me just get back to the Fez, the cold open. When it started off, I was like, okay, did you notice that the music was, like, nonstop and had a great soundtrack? Mm-hmm. It was very much like some of my favorite movies, like Casino, yeah, where, like... Yeah, the the drug dealing um scene, it was like tense and it kind of it was cool because well we seen in the first um season with Mouse, they kind of like wrapped that up um, which was kind of like the cliffhanger. You didn't know what happened to Fez, but clearly like Ashtray, you know, saved the day with a hammer, <laughs> and um it was interesting too because um uh he hit like I think um Mouse's partner and broke his nose but the next see the next scene you see um the the guy uh whose nose he broke setting up a drug deal and he had his girlfriend with him and i was just like this girl looks familiar to me and i'm like uh okay then the next scene obviously you know how drug deals go strip 
got to see if you're wearing a wire. And then, like, when she was, like, very, like, full frontal with it, I was like, all right, I know where I know you're from. I was actually yeah. um this porn star, um Chloe Cherry. Um, oh. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, still going back to the previous thing, the cold open, they had a nice little, like, head nods to, like, because obviously – I guess like late nineties, it would be like late nineties, early two thousands. They probably, uh, but they still, you know, blockbuster car doing cutting up the coke and everything. Mm-hmm. I just like those those little uh, head nods to that. Um, but you mentioned the full frontal. When the show started, it had I've never seen this on like a HBO show because like HBO was like you know a lot of dick uncensored. It was like viewer discretion advised. Like, mm-hmm. You never see that on like HBO. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, right away because <laughs> no, we talk about P Town. Yeah. uh last year last summer so it starts off as a strip club so it's like out they showed like you saw everything was like almost uh well you know the strippers like full naked uh but it wasn't like sexy because it's like it's like their job i think we touched on that with p-town like where it's like they're just walking around like i i also uh like you mentioned money talks in our in our opening there's this thing where they have like movies you can watch on tubi so I watch Showgirls, and it's like not sexy. It's like because it's like their job. Yeah. Um, but talk about full frontal. There's a lot of sh- a lot of schlong in this show, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So it's kind of like reversing. They're reversing it. Um, you know, everyone was like, "How come the women always have to be naked?" So they they show yeah. they show a lot. And I've never obviously you knew like, when she, shoot, when she you shoots them. Zendaya wasn't getting naked, so like they did the yeah. whole like, okay, all right, I'm okay. You don't want to strip, all right? I'm taking you to the shower, like. You know, because it was to check if they had wires. So, you know, he took her into, like, the bathroom, put her in the shower, and then, like, ter- like soaked her. So, because if um she had a wire, obviously, it would be, it would malfunction because of the water. Yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, sex and violence is pretty much what they're establishing in the first two scenes. Yeah, and then they had, um, what was her name, Karen. Um, I've seen her in like a couple other things, like the the drug dealer. She was like the you, this like m- you know middle aged like mom type character. Um, she's like deadpan Laura Lenny, but I know her from this show Baskets with um, Louis Anderson plays like Sock Galifianakis's mother. Oh. And she was like the best friend, so I was like, I was, I was trying to figure. I knew her because I know her, her whole like voice and demeanor, and that was her. So she was like the, the head drug dealer, and like she was just sitting in a room while all this shit's going on. And then once it was clear, like they didn't have wires and stuff, she was like, "All right, well here, here's your drugs. Let's do business." Pulls out a suitcase, and like, yeah, she's like comatose. Yeah. It was it was what I thought it was. It was like very much like fifties or sixties. You know, they would have these even like I think when I was a kid, like I think like my aunts would do it, like a jewelry party or like the the Tupperware. The Tupperware in the 50s. Yeah. It was very much like nonchalant. It was, um, it was all in Avon, but it was drugs. <laughs> and it's weird. Um, I you know when you're a kid, you don't really notice this. Um, and later on, like I find like stories about people I grew up with. Like they had like people that I knew people like this, and I, I had no idea. Like mm-hmm. uh, like with the ashtray, like uh, like like pimps and stuff like that, and I was like, I didn't know it could be anywhere. It's like suburbia, like you, this stuff goes on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Zendaya is obviously like, you know, the the special. It's like Christmas time. Obviously, she like relapsed, and you know, 
that's kind of like the point of the uh, special one. So she's like talking very like fast and everything, like like a little kid. Like she just saw like a movie that she liked, and she's like, "Oh my god, did you see that?" Whatever, whatever, whatever. And Fez is in this car, and he's has Ashtray and Zendaya, and he's basically like taking care of both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like the yeah, he's like chaperoning them, or like he's a like guard. He's like the guardian for these two younger people. Uh, that's kind of like their establishing that's his role. Uh, and you're seeing like a lighter side, not not a lighter side. You're seeing like a softer side of him, like kind of like a projector. Uh, so you know, yeah. after that scene, then we have yeah, but they kind of like established that in the first season too. That's kind of why a lot of people were were fond of him. But I think like the 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 great thing they did was they gave the background um into that where it's like you could be like the drug dealer, but at the same time, like you could like still be a family, you know, family to these people or care about them. You could be caring and be a drug dealer. And it was interesting how they use the whole like McDonald's thing where it's like, you know, her, his grandma like justified like uh, why she doesn't feel bad about doing drugs because at the end of the day, it's like the addict's faults that they die, not hers. Like she was like, you know, nobody's um, taking like McDonald's to jail because your uncle died from diabetes. So why should I go to jail if like this person overdoses? And it was interesting uh, because another character that last season didn't really get a lot of spotlight that I hope that they give a lot of season, a, a lot of spotlight to now is um, Leslie Mann and um, Judd Apatow's daughter, Maude Apatow, who I think had some ex- excellent scenes when she was used in the last season. Um, it showed that uh fez took an interest in her and it looks like she's taking an interest in in him because you know the other part of this is like they had a party a new year's eve party where a lot of stuff was going on and you know i think fez was using that reasoning that his grandmother gave him um to justify why he did what he did and why his grandmother did what she did um, but at the same time, uh, Lexi, who was Martin Apatow's, um, character responded to him and by saying like, sure, like they wouldn't go to jail for it. But, you know, if I was God, I, I'm not sure if I, I would let the CEO of McDonald's into heaven and it left something for Fez to like ponder. It, um, yeah. and you know, I, I think the, the part with his grandmother, too, like the part where he. uh, Where like she beats up like the bullhead uh, mullet guy. And then accidentally hits Fez, doesn't apologize to him, but he knew like she was sorry. So I think that's how very much how he goes about his business, where he cares about people, but he won't say it, but he'll just do it. Like they would, they would, it would already be known, and I think that's a relationship he has with Rue, where it's like she's like a little sister to him. All right, so like in the party scene, you know, like a cliche. As of the rest of the episodes, like the set piece is like this, uh, this party, and it's like chaos. You know, there's like, you know, like fifty people, and they're just milling about doing whatever. Uh, but there's like three little stories that they bounce back and forth, and during the party, like you have Rue and Rue. But then you also have this bathroom scene. But going back to Fez, all right, so people are just like 
banging you know they're like it's like a it's like a freaking caligula you know it's like everyone's just like going at it yeah. but but fez isn't he's like doing like a very um oh you know can i have your number like, like talking actually using like to- finding out her, like, her intellect and having like clever uh back and forth yeah. like she says uh like she talked about like well christians took christmas from the pagans and like why can't the jews take it from the from the uh, christians and he and then he was like, oh, okay like he's just like you know uh not not like animalistic it was more like intellectual yeah. and that's different that's harder than just going hey i don't i'm a dj and then you just start banging like it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. less instinctual more like it's a less primal or whatever like mm-hmm. so that was cool uh again like they, i guess they established that he was uh you know in season one where he's like more like more hard and he's more like you know the protector and you think like oh okay um other stuff happened but later on with his story he takes a sw- sweatshirt off or a sweater yeah uh, when i when i saw that you know what i thought about uh a wolf in sheep's clothing like oh. he, he took off like he okay. took off like uh and it's like and she saw it like, he took it off and then something happens that we can get into oh if you want to yeah well you know what? Kind of like he turned back into this fucking you got to remember he's a fucking drug dealer yeah and you know um I wouldn't say they were unimportant, unimportant, but uh, other stuff happened. So I'm just like, uh, just sift through them. So obviously, um, so there's a scene like I on the way to the party, Lexi and Cassie, who are sisters, you know, Sydney Sweeney's character, they had a fight and she got out of, of the car. And Lexi, the whole party is like in between talking to Fez, is like trying to like find her to Noah Phil, who picks her up. Of course, the big bad wolf, the antagonist of the show, Nate. Um, her and Nate start driving. Um, as you already seeing like where it's kind of going, and then they start having sex in the bathroom. Lo and behold, who who's the person pounding on the door? Maddie, Alexi Demi's character, who's Nate's ex-girlfriend at this point. Um, so it's like a whole tense thing where Sydney Sweeney's character has to like hide in the bathtub for a whole party. Um, so that went down, and then um, Rue is this tension between Rue and uh, Jules, the whole party where they're kind of like avoiding each other. And Rue actually goes into like cardiac arrest and uses Adderall to get herself back, kind of like um. Kind of like Pulp Fiction with the adrenaline. Um, so that stuff happens. So long story short, on to the, the climax of the episode, which I really wasn't expecting, Mike. Like when I seen, because last season it was established, like Nate was antagonizing um, or basically like using his, what's the word I'm looking for here? Trying to intimidate um rue and jules and fez you know took it upon himself because rue is like his family now to to deal with it so we didn't know how and then obviously he had bigger fish to fry in the first season with um you know mouse and you know that kind of that you know actual like drug dealing stuff like he really couldn't get involved with the high school thing so Fast forward to this episode, the premiere, when he takes off his shirt and him and Nate start talking. And 
you know, I'm thinking it was some kind of like Machiavellian, like, you know, Fez was kind of going to go like the the Machiavellian route of like, oh, all right, let me befriend this person, gain his trust and his confidence. And then over time, I would, you know, find my opportunity to, you know, make him pay. And the thing I worried about as a viewer is like, I've seen this so many times where it's like, you know, they do that. And then what happens? They become close to that person and they, they, they hold back from, you know, um, they, they have this inner conflict of like, what are they going to do? Who's, who's loyalty? Um, who, who does he owe more loyalty to, um, Nate or Rue? And, Nah, like all our shit went out of the window because Nate's like, last time I saw you, you said you were gonna kill me. I was like, nah, man, it's cool, it's all love. And then out of nowhere, he breaks the, the vodka bottle over his head and starts beating the shit out of him. And I must tell you, Mike, um, on Twitter, everybody was like, this is the ass whooping people have been waiting for for like at least the last three years. I wrote in my notes, I wrote brutal. I wrote brutal down. Uh. Again, going back to like sex and sex and violence, uh, you know, he's a weird dude and he's talking to, of course, he, you know, the uh, we talked about it in the car uh, and then they started banging in the uh, bathroom uh, and her ex-boyfriend or like the boyfriend she's like, I'm going to break with or whatever. Yeah. Um, Nate is like aggressively asking him all these questions and it's like making him feel really weird. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's like getting off is. on it. You know, it's like really creepy. Uh, but in the bathroom, of the whole episode, uh, I love that the, it was like a photo. A lot of things were like photographs, like especially with Rue and Jules, like it looked like a photo yeah. um, and like people get blocked away. And it's just like you see them, like even though there's like 50 people around, like they focus, they were able to like focus on like these two characters who are like talking to each other, basically just like through their eyes. Um, but it's not just dialogue. It's not just really cool uh, scenes. They they in the bathroom, that was a straight up bad stakes stakes in the bathroom scene that you know it went on through the episode like suspense there's a lot of suspense in that uh old school like hitchcock suspense and uh her being in the tub uh uh cassie being in the in the tub and you didn't know where the, it was going uh but then like even though it was a like high stakes it, it's just like uh maddie's just like okay you know like no who gives a shit you know like it didn't matter anyway because like she yeah. got away with it yeah, yeah, but then they tell the dude, you know, like it's just like there's levity, even though this is a very serious show, you know, it's just like, um, people, these people are going like 100 miles per hour, uh, but there's also like you know, some levity to you know, relax every once in a while. What was your favorite part of it? Like, what was your favorite like moment? And his eyes beat. I, I'm just interested in, in where they go from here because, like, I really was expecting, like, when I saw them beginning to talk, I really anticipated uh, um, a Machiavellian type of, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, gain this guy's trust because he's a person who's, who, um, capitalizes on his personal relationships like you um talk about his relationship with mckay where he's you know where are you gonna did you guys fuck where'd you finish did would you come on her did you come on like you know like and, and you know it was like 
like to me, Nate's kind of like this big bad wolf. Like, didn't you get that vibe? Like, in in all his scenes where he's like, like, like you ever seen those cartoon wolves where they're just like sharp teeth and they're just licking their lips, like in the car. I mean, in the truck. Like, I, first of all, like a quick side though, I didn't even know like pickup trucks would go like over a hundred, but you know, and I've seen him looking at like you know Cassie, and he's like licking his lips, and it's like. It's something very cruel and you know, I, I mean, um uh I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's an excellent actor. I feel like oh. he has he probably has like a like a hard time like in 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 his person he, he probably has a hard time in his personal life. Like he might be like such a sweetheart in real life and you wouldn't even like realize it. And if, it, it is good then that they don't really show like like they usually do like a post credit thing where they talk about the actors, like break down the characters. You don't really see him a lot, um, which is good because then it might cloud your judgment on, on, yeah, on the character. Well, it's like, over, maybe. Um, you know, we, we talk about wrestling, like it's like the Undertaker. It's like you don't want he he, he the the character is like protected and it needs to be like that. But again, I thought it was it was gonna be like a Machiavellian thing, but it wasn't. Not he straight up attack, but I think the that attack it. To me, I think it the 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 it it has parallels to when his grandmother attacked the guy with the crowbar at the family donut or whatever the 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 bullhead guy. I think in the sense that we probably won't see it now because it kind of ended right after that. But where it's like, yeah, you got your revenge. You enacted it brutally, and you sent a message, but it's going to come back and hurt somebody that you care about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, like, like I feel like that was like the, the foreshadowing that was given to it. Whereas like, you know, she, his grandmother beat the guy up, um, but she hurt him. But in her eyes, she's like, it had to be done, but you know, he's, he's a tough you know he's a, he's a tough kid he'll he'll, he'll, he'll he, he knows i love him you know okay three things with nate you mentioned like he's like the wolf um they 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 kind of like had cassie be like the deer like the fawn who's like injured like she's sitting down like during she's obviously like in a weakened state you know she's like vulnerable and he comes out and he gets her uh that's kind of like you know then he like emasculates uh What's his name again? Like the football, the, the okay. Cassie's boyfriend masculates yeah. him, and he basically like takes away, like he, he physically was like with her, and then like he's like mentally like, taken away, like everything he was he experienced with her. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's just like a masculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's like, you know, he's just you know he gets off on that obviously. Um, another moment with uh, Rue, what, what, what until later on in the trailer for the season, you, you see it's, it's established that this character is going to be like in, in it more often. But when Rue's in the bathroom, she has a little back and forth with a guy who's like snoring. And she's oh, like, I'll give the you the laundry room. The laundry oh, yeah. room. Yeah. But I liked him right away. I was like, I liked his character. Yeah, me too. I liked too. him a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then they're establishing like a love triangle because Jules and, you know, since I have a very, you know, and a codependent, but like not healthy relationship, I would say. I think I would use that word, but yeah. the, it's, it's a, uh, Sam Levinson, the, the writer director, he used this uh, terminology for their relationship, uh, logic versus emotion. Like, you know, that, you know, you shouldn't be with someone, but like you love them. It's like, it's a, 
it's like that dynamic where you follow your heart or you follow your brain. Right. We've all been there sometimes, you know, in like a relationship where like, you know what the right thing to do is, but you're clouded by like your, your emotions. Right. So we'll keep looking forward to the rest of the season. Maybe we'll wrap it up at the, the end, but they surely to begin, they threw like quite the haymaker. So I'm, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah. We'll check out, you know, I'm excited for the rest of euphoria early in the episode. Uh, in Fez's place, he had a poster and it was, it was a movie that's very, very popular. Um, but looking back, it could be seen as uh, kind of like whitewashing where we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so should uh, problematic movies generally what people think or what you think, and but you, you can't help but love it. Yeah. So uh, what's your... Yeah, so I was thinking about this all the day because um, I was just on the train. I was thinking to myself, I'm surprised they haven't, you know gone after it just as yet and i mean it's a movie that you know you could come after it like a million different ways uh because of the subject matter um but this actually has to do more with the actor than it does with the because i'm actually it's going to be like two movies but actually it's the same actor and both of them are directed by the same person so I was thinking about Al Pacino in Scarface and Carlito's way. In Scarface, he's playing a Cuban immigrant. And in Carlito's way, he's playing, uh, you know, Boricua, like New York, Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican um, you know, person. And, you know, they're both still great, well-loved movies, but, you know, in this era of you know representation you know the new west side story i think that's where i got the idea from this the new west side story of course in the older one you know they had natalie wood in dark makeup they had um uh didn't even realize the one of the georges that were discussed in once upon a time in hollywood george uh george uh papyrus i think or Kakaris. Well, he's the he's Greek and he played, you know, the main, you know, um Maria's brother in original. So he's Greek and they mix they made him up with like dark makeup. So you know, they tried to rectify that in this new remake by Steven Spielberg, where all the Hispanic characters would be played by actual Hispanic people. So I'm surprised like a lot of people like people haven't gone after Scarface and Carlito's way or gone after like Al Pacino personally, you know, much in the same way, like um uh oh, what's his name? Uh Hank Azaria and um uh Mike oh. Mike um Henry. It's Mike Henry, right? For the um for Cleveland. Cleveland Browns. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like how they've kind of had their reckoning where it's like, yeah, you're like white guys playing um black guys and Indian guys and et cetera, et cetera. So it's interesting. And I mean, like, to be fair, it's not like Al Pacino made a career out of it. Like he went on to keep on playing like Hispanic characters while being an Italian um 
man, but you know, to me, I think like if you like his dialects in I've always said it because people would like think that uh Al Pacino would just be like, all right, I'm just doing like a Spanish, like a, a Latin accent in these movies. And it would just be like a uni- universal Latin accent. But it's like, if you watch Scarface, like he does like the the accent of a Cuban person who barely knows English, the same dialect and everything. And then if you watch Carlito's Way, like he very much sound like if you go to like Washington Heights, like he could sound like a lot of the, you know, middle-aged like Puerto Rican people or in the South Bronx that you you hear so he he like you know you got to give him credit like he he did his his homework on preparing for the rules and I just thought it's it's interesting that those movies they haven't um been canceled yet but he's um you know I I still love it and I still love it for what it is you know if if that makes sense oh well that's acting you know, yeah. uh, there's a borderline. This is another discussion that's happening. Like you mentioned, West Side Story. Um, you mentioned how they're like they actually having like Latin actors in it, like trying to rectify the original movie. Uh, but and, but now I saw an article where it's like it should be it shouldn't be Spielberg. It should be like like they're going into not even the actors where it's like this can Steven Spielberg make West Side Story? That's one article I read from a like a Puerto or actually a Puerto Rican uh person in like film so that's what i'm getting at with uh with that where it's like with apu too they wanted to have writers maybe you know give uh people who indian uh background people be able to talk about give more authenticity so it's like giving opportunities it's it's not just uh, the performers as like people behind the camera uh, that's kind of like the next step mm-hmm. that they're tra- that's like a, a movement now because like it's great having like one person uh, like, like a little group of people that play a lot of characters that are people of color but there's so many more positions you know if you look at the end credits of, on shows there's like a hundred people that work on like a movie or like a tv production um, and that's kind of like the next step for that um, yeah, you know, with Scarface and Carly's Way, uh, would it have to be like, should it have been a Cuban person playing Scarface? Because if the character's like that, or just like Latin, that's another thing where I, I always think about it's like you mentioned, like Pacino has like the actual the the accent of like a New Yorker, uh, you know, like a Puerto Rican New Yorker. Um, what do you, how do you feel about that? Would would it be just like you mentioned how like Pacino doesn't do like a uh, a general accent, like it's more like authentic with the actor. What do you think? Like, would it have to be someone from literally like a New Yorker who's Puerto Rican? Like, you know, get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? That's like an interesting thing too, because I remember like it was uh, some controversy just recently with the in in the Heights. Um, something like me and Joel had talked about. I mean, not in the heights, but we were just talking about like colorism in the Latin community, where it's like, even in the Latin community, like 
there are Latinos who are dark skinned like Joel who aren't being represented in media or, you know, it's thought that Latino characters are meant to look uh, fairer skinned, you know, lighter skinned and not dark skinned. There's no way that they could look this way. Um, and yeah, I guess it's a, it's an idea that it's not monolithic. Like if you encountered like a Colombian person, like they may look similar to a Cuban person, but they have a whole different culture. Same thing with Dominicans, same thing with Puerto Ricans. Like obviously if you grew up in New York, you know there is a distinct difference between Puerto Rican people and Dominican people and you, you um to them if you confuse the two there will be a problem you know yeah and generations let's say like european too um though that culture was distinct like it would be like neighborhoods like especially new york it was very distinct and it was very uh segregated even between like europeans but as generations go by like it's just you get like a the label is just like it's just white but like that, those culture, cultures, right next to each other, like a Greek and Italian, like they're completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later, as time goes by, you get you know that's the whole melting pot thing. But um, yeah, but like in the Latin America, America, there's like distinct, like even like uh, you know me and you, you know everyone like learns like Spanish like in school. Mm-hmm. But you can say something like if you're a Spaniard and you say something to someone, uh, it has completely different connotation to like a, a Mexican. Like, uh, if you say something, there's that, I think, uh, like, a, like a Mexican uh, could say something like, oh, use like slang. But if you say, but if uh, you say that to like a, like a Spanish person, like Spain, like they're going to take their glove off and like smack you. Like, you said, what'd you say about my mother? But like Mexicans would be like, man, fuck you, man. Like that, like that's how it comes off. So it's very distinct. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because it's like one of them things you'd have to go to like the Cuban community and ask them about Scarface. You'd have to go to the Puerto Rican community and ask them about Carlito's way. Like James Khan, no drop of Italian blood um, in his body, I think. And, you know, when he did Godfather and he played Sonny, like he would get awards and recognition from like Italian, you know, Italian associations um and um political groups and stuff like that for his portrayal of an italian person so you know it's, it would be an interesting question to um them because I, I i you know it's much like the the thing with like a poo where it's like you know people thought there wasn't an issue but people weren't asking the people or the people who had an issue with it didn't have you know a big enough voice or platform to um speak out against it um so it'd be interesting to see if like you know all these years like scarface has been celebrated and people was like nah man like for one like he's not cuban so we don't even like respect that portrayal you know for puerto ricans oh like you know, they'd be thinking, you know, okay, okay, I'm reloaded. Or you, you use the lines from, like, Carlito's way with them. It's like, nah, dude, like, we don't like that because he's he's not Puerto Rican. Um, So it'd be an interesting conversation for them to be had. Uh, what, what movie did you have or what movies? All right, so uh, I'm not, this is, like, 
Western. This is not like a race thing. It's a different thing. Right. That's also talked about a lot. A movie I grew up on. And before this, before I saw this movie, or maybe the sequel, uh, you know, I was just like a regular kid, you know, I was like six, whatever, whatever. And I saw this movie and I became like the class clown, you know, like not class clown, not, not like a fool. But mm-hmm. I started like uh, using humor as like kind of like my uh, way to like build relationships and everything. And I, I idolized this, I idolized this guy in the 90s, Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura. Right. That's been, that's been talked about um about like transphobia you've right. read about that right mm-hmm. but also uh there's a scene where um they're in a like he plays like a mentally handicapped person and nowadays like that's uh that's problematic right i grew up on this show this movie and i didn't really like emp- you know like empathy for other people like placing yourself the ability to separate your own experience from and then like someone else's which is like if you go on twitter people are only like oh that never happened to me it's like anecdotal but having the ability to separate yourself and uh, what if there's a kid growing up like our age whatever who've had those who had those like feelings were like you know uh they were like the, i was supposed to be born like a woman and yeah. everyone's laughing about it and that could be like mentally um exhausting and like you, you think about this all the time and that leads to a lot of issues down the line uh with the transphobia like the biggest joke is that uh uh einhorn like made out with like all the guys or just like had sexual things with all the guys and they're all like oh like disgusting throwing up mm-hmm. um but but on the flip side jim carrey uh i read an article where he's like okay yeah i understand looking back um it's like problematic, but it was so over the top that Ace Ventura is supposed to be the butt of the joke, less so than just like making fun of uh, like a, a trans person. Like mm-hmm. it's like so over the top. Like he's a plunger, and of course it's a, it's a uh, it's like a what do you call that again? A crying game uh, spoof, pretty much, because mm-hmm. they play the music and everything. But it's so over the top. But it, it but still uh, these movies. Uh, we grew up on like you wonder and you go back and you're like you know like Revenge of the Nerds I watched it every day and there's like a rape scene in it you know it's like you know it's hard that we didn't really acknowledge that you know it was it was like either a punchline or just uh, just a throwaway moment in a movie Mm -hmm. Um, you agree with that like comedies yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it, too, when we, you know, the John Hughes, where, you know, several stuff, several of the stuff, things in his movies were like, yeah, like you can't um do or say certain things anymore or things that were in those movies. You're like, oh, it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it, it was funny, but now in retrospect, it, it, it isn't, um, and I think Ace Ventura, obviously, with the Ray Finkel, um, Einhorn thing, is something that hasn't aged well. And even to that, I, I don't even like that term, like, age well. I think as society, we progress, you know? Uh, last night, I was watching um, Jungle Cruise with Emily Blunt and The Rock, and you know, it's set in 1916, and a lot of it's, like, 
humor was set um behind the fact that Emily Blunt's character like couldn't really speak amongst men because this was pre 18th amendment and her brother was gay and you know I, I thought it was a, a significant thing in a Disney movie that kind of like showcased out where you know he talked about um I think he was talking to the Ross character about how like he had to turn down like women's offers you know to to you know women offering or parents offering their daughters to him because um he was gay and other um the only person in the who the only person who stood by him through his you know his you know closeted thing was his sister and that's why he follows his sister everywhere she goes because you know she's she's the only person that um respects him and she's you know he and essentially is like the like she's the 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 voice and like he, like he's her messenger basically like he goes up and he says the things that she's written um in front of crowds um but my point with saying that is just like that's a movie set in the early the early 20th 20th century and it's something you could make as like, you know, kind of like the background of the film because society since then has progressed. And I think society since Ace Ventura has progressed. You know, that's why we could have a show like Euphoria. And every time Jules is on the, se- the, the screen, it's like, oh, you know, she used to be a boy. Like, it's just like, she. that's just Jules. That's just Hunter Schaefer. And us as a society just sees her as a person, you know. Um, and I like obviously people wouldn't make that that joke today, and that's that's the great thing about it. But this is you know the point of this whole segment is just that you know these are certain films where it's like, yeah, like Scarface and Carlito's Way, and I think they were doing like a Scarface like remake, and it was supposed to have um Diego Diego Luna who's um Mexican-American, and he was going to play, like, they were going to make the Scarface character Mexican. Um, I don't know uh, if they're still doing our film, if they if they already aren't, but... Um, yeah, well, Scarface is a remake in itself, you know, James Cagney, right, I believe, like, in the... Th- he was, like, in the 30s. But, um... uh, Paul Muni. Um, but, yeah, it was, like, a... It was remade from the the 30s into the 80s but they were planning on doing like another version and last i heard he was the person and they were actually going to get a hispanic character to yeah. play him but i'm saying like the point of this whole thing is like we could like i'm still watching those movies yeah, and too. i'm still enjoying it and it's the same thing with ace ventura and like the thing i i kind of hate is that you know a movie like ace ventura like or a movie like Breakfast Club with the scenes with um Judd Nelson and um Molly Ringwall, you know every other day, you know it's like some article that's like, yeah, you can't enjoy this anymore, and it's like, no, nah, I can't enjoy it, and I could also be mature about it and realize that in the real world these things wouldn't pass. You know, you can't just you know, stick your head in a girl's crotch and then eventually she's going to fall in love with you. It doesn't 
work like that. Um, you can't antagonize a person because they had a sex change and make like a whole like comedy routine about it. But in the movie, the whole plot of the, the, the whole plot of the movie was that it was this guy that blew the Super Bowl for the Dolphins and basically was ostracized by um foot you know ostracizing the one thing that he loved which was football because he blew this game and the you know he blamed it on Dan Marino because Dan Marino didn't hold the ball right or whatever whatever um so in order for that person to you know live life they had a sex change and then live life as a woman and sought revenge like it was like a would yeah yeah like it was a um like a punch, not a punishment, but it was like, like a shameful thing. Well, anyway, like, yeah, of course, like I could, I, I don't mean movie. the movie is it's, it's called Ace Ventura Pet Detective. So there had to be some kind of like mystery. If like Ray Finkel was still a man, it would kind of be, you know, like there wouldn't be an aha moment because obviously all the people that like they interviewed Dan Marino and all the other dolphins, would be like, oh, that guy's Ray Finkel and the movie, you know, like, yeah. so you had to add in, you know, it's part of the plot. I mean, is it in poor taste, like the vomiting and the, um, you know, him like spitting, you know, like dry heaving when he realized like he made out with her? Um, the shower. <laughs> yeah. Clean so, myself. No, yeah, but I, I can still enjoy well. it. I can separate myself. I can, no, I, I can separate time because it was almost wow 29 years ago it came out uh but but i can separate it uh same thing with like the john hughes you know like season candles and breakfast club i can separate it um one of my favorite characters was like kind of like a punchline sort of and like revenge of nerds he was a nerd just because he was like a black gay man sort of like he hung out with the outside with the uh like the, you know the french people like the nerds um so you saw someone let, let's say you're like you know gay you saw someone and uh, but it was kind of like a comic relief. Yeah. Uh, I saw another movie recently where they showed uh, they had like a diverse cast, but like the I guess a token like gay black man was like kind of like the joke. But I can separate it. And hey, sometimes that could be that's that could be who you are. Like that could be like you're like a uh, you know a, you joke around and stuff. But uh, after a while, you got to get more complex characters. Uh, I watched uh, the Hitchcock um, t- TV show, like the Hitchcock Hour, and the only black person you saw was the guy handling the luggage in the train station. Mm-hmm. But that's how it was. My mom, my mom tells me, uh, like in the fifties and sixties, like that's how it was. Like you saw people on TV, and then eventually it got more complex, and uh, fifty years go by, and now we're talking about representation for different groups. Uh, so it just keeps on going, but I can separate myself. I can separate everything. I can still enjoy that. Um, again, you said you don't believe cancel culture isn't like a thing. It's like the the market. Like you, well, you said a while ago, like 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 the market will. The market dictates your necessity. Yeah, right. So like you can watch it, you can enjoy it. Uh, it's not gonna. It doesn't need like a whole backlash where it's like, no, you can't take this away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Marvel. Uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up with this. Uh, like fictional characters, 
uh, they recast them, not they recast them, but like they cast people that in the fictional world, like or like uh, let's say uh, uh, who's an example? Well, Ving Rhames, not Ving Rhames. Oh, wow, I said Ving Rhames. Well, Clark Duncan played Kingpin, and people I remember like. 20 years ago they were like but kingpin you know that's not kingpin fictional characters are you have the the freedom to you know cast whatever uh but people have like so much backlash at that and, and, and that's like, a, you that's have a to do the you have to do the ben affleck and james allen ball <laughs> strikes back you understand these are fictional characters fictional yeah. characters <laughs> hey is that yeah. uh but that's 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 real i mean We've seen that the last um, like 15 years and 20 years of people that grew up reading something. They like, oh, you're taking this away from me. No, you can still enjoy it. You can go back and read comics and old movies and stuff. Uh, it doesn't doesn't it doesn't wipe away everything. It just progresses and it becomes more complex and try different things. Like it, it's it explores other avenues and that allows like a show like Euphoria, where uh it's not your typical uh like tropes and characters that's why should you love it um mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite shows that's going on now because it's you don't know what's going to happen next you know yeah and um, word of the week you know speaking of like euphoria um, a couple of weeks ago i was kind of uh, downtrodden because insecure and curb ended uh so it was one week on hbo i didn't have anything to watch and then euphoria came back and i wanted to give a word of the week last week but obviously we were very busy during the holiday season so i didn't really get to to um give it out so this might seem a little dated but i would like to give a word of the week to insecure the tv series for having a series finale um because it's very rare that a show especially a black show gets to uh basically tell their story and end on their own terms uh i remember like in our first scary movie when um in scary movie when uh ray who was sean sean um, wayne's character he was doing like the stabbing. I was like, "Where his brothers didn't even get a season finale," and I was like, "And it's it's funny because the final episode of Wayne's Brothers was like this this clip show where Sean, Marlon, and um, uh, Pops, uh, R.I.P. John Witherspoon, they're in a therapy session, so they kind of show clips from throughout the show." But they never really got, like, a last, like, final episode. And a lot of, like, black shows don't really get a final episode. But Insecure was a show. It got um, started by Issa Rae, uh, and who starred in it. And, you know, shout out to Issa Rae, Yvonne Orji, uh, Jay Ellis, Amanda Seals. Um, a lot of the cast that are on the show that you know I don't know their name um off the top of my head, and of course, my favorite uh who's somebody if I have a blow up, I, I definitely want to work with because she is tremendously talented. Natasha Raul, Ra <laughs> Natasha Raul, um, who's just awesome comedically playing Kelly on the show, but she's also a producer, um, and writer. And it was interesting. There was a story like a couple um, 
like a couple months ago where it talked about how she was rejected as a writer on SNL. Mm. And after seeing like her work on Insecure, I'm like, and seeing how kind of like the, the the quality of SNL has been over the years, you could you know with that type of talent, you know, being um turned down, you could see why their quality isn't not great. But you know, just to wrap it up, like black shows, they rarely, if ever, get like a a series finale, and you know, certain things about it, I really like. I didn't really care. I, I, it didn't end. So, uh, some things didn't end the way I wanted it to, but um, you know, I accept it because Insecure was like a very distinct re- re- reflection of um, you know, real life and just the up and ups and downs of people. And it was like one of those shows. Like I remember, like I used to see people uh talking about it. Uh, much in the same way I used to watch, you know, see people talking about Game of Thrones. And then eventually when I got HBO, I was able to go through Game of Thrones and appreciate it and not like the final season as much as anybody else. But Insecure was one of the shows and seeing like clips from it, I was like, oh, it's going to be one of these like, you know, men are trash type of shows. But the show definitely did a uh, excellent job of just uh, character development. And character development isn't just like, you know, horizontal. It's 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 like um, like any type of like those graph charts. They go up and down. So they've had seasons where somebody you liked did things you didn't like, and you started rooting against them. And then they had certain seasons where people you initially didn't like you start to like because you know they were the person being wronged. And you know for all the seasons I've been on, it did such an excellent job in doing that. It did a great job in tying up the show, having callbacks. So award of week is going to Insecure for having a final, um, able to have a final episode and end things off as, uh, I can't just say Issa, but as, you know, in a way that they wanted. And shout out to Prentice Penny, who's, you know, um, the showrunner on and has directed episodes um and of course shout out Issa Rae for you know making this great show off the top of my head um uh, two shows that I loved uh Martin didn't really get a finale because like there was a contract dispute and he wasn't on the final episode I don't, I don't think it was just like they ended it and uh of course the biggest one uh like two seasons only Dave Chappelle like he didn't really have a he wasn't able to bow out like with uh you know, mm-hmm. they kept going. And it was kind of like disrespectful a little bit. Final thoughts, Mike, for episode 81. So Euphoria, um, we talked about like the characters and like the content. Uh, I'm going to shout out to the production and like Sam Levison, writer, director. Uh, I'm, I'm really into like the structure of the show. And one of my things, I'm going to use my certificate that I have, the screenwriting, might as well. Something I want to jump into during 2022 is get back into like just like screenwriting, just as like a therapeutic thing, maybe adapt like a book or something. So I, I appreciate the structure of the show. Uh, the first episode of season two was bookend. It was bookended with um, a moment in the strip club with the grandmother doing something uh, very violent in like a, in like a sexual environment. And that's why I keep saying like the sex and violence is like a theme, uh, very, very graphic. And the show ends with a party that's very like high 
energetic sexual tension in the in the party where everyone's kind of relationships are mingling and uh, a lot of triangles going on multiple triangles going on uh but it ends with the climax uh feza mercilessly beating someone and it's kind of like you had that in the beginning was, was a shock i was like oh here we go so you know i i, I go oh here we go this is how the this, this season's going to be and then it ended with something like another explosion and then you're like okay how's how's the next like what seven episodes going to be um so i'm excited to keep going with that uh you know maybe uh you know show chat we'll chat about that in the uh the rest of the season uh with the problematic movies that we still love i read like you said there's articles all the time uh it's like they they pe- there's people who find uh an issue with everything and they kind of use that as just it's all, it's 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 a it's very healthy and it's very academic to break down everything like you can write a whole book on like a movie or like you know 90s movies 80s movies that are problematic it's very very uh again like academic but as a fan and as like a lay person i can i can still appreciate the show in the movie uh like in euphoria there's a poster of scarface in a uh in the house and this is a white guy he he has a scarface poster uh i have a scarface poster behind my wall unit from when i was a kid from like the early 2000s i have one uh so i can still appreciate uh like one of my favorite movies of all time is carlito's way brian de palma's carlito's way uh when i watch it uh, it's not really uh doesn't really affect my viewing of it i can separate the time and i can like appreciate al pacino's performance yeah and, and with your award of the week so hearing you talk about the show that's something i need to jump into because Again, there's like not much really to watch. You got to utilize your HBO Max. Um, Shug. Oh, so with my my final thoughts, you know, Euphoria, obviously, um, great show. Me and Mike got into it at the same time. I think like we were still working at that time, right? It was like in summer of nineteen, right? It was summer twenty nineteen. Yeah. So. Yeah, almost like three years. You you had to wait for a new season and uh did not disappoint at the least i mean not just with us like i've been on twitter and like everybody seems to have um heralded this new episode as as like you know pretty great so we'll keep watching it and then you know you know we'll, we'll check in maybe like towards like one of the last episode um happens we'll wrap it up because um there's a lot of stuff going to be happening. Like, I, I think, like, Minka Kelly is actually joining the cast, and they haven't really said who she's going to be. So it's gonna, that's going to be an interesting um, story. Um, and, you know, problematic movies. Like I said, you know, these are movies, I think, like, you know, every movie has its, like, flaws. And no movie, I think, is really going to be, like, perfect. Uh, it's interesting. I've been watching like clips of like actually one of my favorite movies, um, Freddy Got Fingered, and the movie is just so irreverent and silly and stupid. But it's one of my favorite movies, and I'm like, there's no way anybody's making this shit today. Um, even like they have the new Jackass movie coming out, and 
you know, a lot of these guys, like the stuff that they were doing uh, in 2001, you know, when Jackass was on TV, they're probably not going to do in this movie. And obviously, like as a result of that show in their personal life, they had to deal with, you know, um, addiction and all of these different things. But uh, all of those guys, they've for the most part, they've um, seen the other the light at the end of the tunnel. So um, I say that to say that these movies, um, I think you can still enjoy them and I don't think you need to be reminded to not enjoy them. Um, you know, just watch what you want at your your own pace and and leisure. But at the same time, just don't be like, oh, well, this is how things used to be, and you can't do it now. And I think like, you know, going forward is going to be you know making good quality movies, especially comedies. It's it's going to be um difficult because you can't um reach into like crude and offensive things like you used to in order to like you know squeeze out comedy like you did in the past so it's interesting and i just wanted to talk about movies that were like you know are problematic or could be viewed as problematic as i've said nobody's really like made a big uproar about scarface and carlito's way or or al pacino um in the beginning we talked about you know these people who had passed and you know like i said with sydney Porte, a lot of people brought up you know the thing with like diane carroll so i'm pretty sure you know whenever al pacino goes you know hopefully it's a long time from now you know people might be like you know when people are writing nice you know giving them his flowers you know there's there's obviously going to be somebody who's going to be like well, you know, he was, you know, uh, whitewashing uh, Latino characters. You know, he should have gave those jobs to Latinos. And as if, like, you know, at that time, you know, people thought that way. Like, oh, these characters should be played by, you know, the race or the, the ethnicity. Um, but that's all I have to say about this episode. Um, You know, going forward in the future, um, me and Mike, we, like had a discussion and things kind of are going to be a little different moving forward. Um, Mike might not be on the show as often, but um, I think we've agreed that it would be um, for Mike to kind of take a step back. You know, he could uh, produce a lot of the content that he's been working on over the past couple months and put out like a lot of stuff like we've, um talked about in the past and you know put those out on youtube uh if you haven't already i know a lot of people have seen it but he put out the um it's always sunny in philadelphia uh you know we talked about the new season um that passed you know he put out a video there um but i think like Mike, you're still going to come on and do, like, you know, in retrospects and in, um, you know, appreciating um, things. Um, and I just want to say, like, we sought out to do a podcast. We've done it. It's great. It's been fun. It's been work. It's been stressful. But we've done it. So, 
you know, we have that to hang our hat on. Um, but it'll just be a little bit different. And I think um, it, it, it's for the best. And who knows, maybe after time we'll come back and be back in the same format that we've been doing. Yeah, it was born out of, black, you know, it was born out of COVID. We started in June. Um, at the time, uh, I was getting back into like work and everything. And this was a great, you know, this was a great like weekly, like, uh, you know, like a release and like creative release. Uh, you know, a year and a half. Uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, you know, I, I take a step back. Like, work was getting to me. Uh, I'm trying to like branch out and try to get back into my what I was doing too, like other creative stuff. Uh, uh, just like you know, work on a lot of stuff. And that you know, it was a new year and everything. Uh, my favorite moments, you know, we talk when we do like retrospectives and everything. Uh, me and Shug have a affinity for. You know, filmmaking the first thing i ever said to you like at work was like, like something about movies so like you know we're all cinephile we're me and you are cinephiles so that's kind of like my bread and butter that i appreciate um but yeah i mean i'll check in and everyone's you know never show names and everything and uh check out the videos that's still going to be uh you know, there's archives uh go back you know the christmas episode a lot of people gave me good feedback uh with a lot of hits a lot of hits uh, and I think that's because a lot of people appreciate you know, nostalgia. Nostalgia has always been something I appreciated, even before it was nostalgic. Like it was still, you know, before it was like a term, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. So to that, I'd say um, thank you to Mike for um, what he's done up until this point. And thanks in advance for what's what's coming Um next and i would just say to everybody else you know everybody listening um stay tuned um but this has been episode 81 of shug me the mooney shug me the mooney shug me the mooney